Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 82 of X-Lapsed, uh, where we're going to kick off uh, another little mini-series inside of our uh, main show here. And before we even get into it, I want to let you know that I have not been looking forward to this one. Um, I've been around the block a time or two with uh, Marvel and their um, tie-ins, their crossover tie-ins. And by around the block a time or two, I mean I've been a reader of Marvel Comics for... About 30 years now, so I've uh, seen the way the tie-ins go. And I've come to have an expectation for how vital and how worth the money these tie-ins can be. Because the the book we're going to discuss today, and I believe all four parts, uh, at least the first two, are $5 books. So, um, yeah. <laughs> now, the book we're going to be talking about is... Empire colon X-Men number one here And another thing before we start I want to make it clear here that I know absolutely nothing about Empire I have not followed any of it It doesn't involve any characters that I really could give half a damn about right now And uh, I just uh, really don't have the room in my brain for it Since it is a Marvel crossover I can probably hazard a few guesses as to what this might be comprised of And I'm thinking... Alien Invasion? That seems like a Marvel thing to do. Uh, Heroes fighting other heroes? Yeah, that's another Marvel thing they can do. Um, Some sort of circumstances where all the major heroes of the Marvel Universe have to run and get permission from S.H.I.E.L.D. to do something? That stands to reason. And of course, uh, we will probably find out that everything we thought we knew was wrong. So, there's the checklist for Marvel crossovers. It's gotta be... At least one of those things. And, you know, I could have done a bit of research on the topic. And I actually had planned to, but I didn't want to learn things that I shouldn't know yet. You know, I'm doing these as, you know, I guess in like Let's Play or Parlance, it would be, these are blind runs, right? Uh, This is stuff I don't know about. You're getting my as close to gut reaction as possible here. So I didn't want to spoil anything. Um... Uh, You know, information is kind of a currency in the comics fandom, so people like to spoil things, and I didn't want to have anything spoiled here. Uh, Despite the fact that I don't entirely have high hopes for this miniseries, I still would like to discover everything myself. Um, And I mean, honestly, I'm having trouble navigating the X-Book reading order, so I couldn't even imagine trying to get a bead on that of the wider Marvel Universe, because as far as I can tell, like, almost everything ties into Empire. So as always, we will endeavor to do our best. And, you know, really shouldn't be that difficult, right? Because this issue does have a great big number one on it. 
and of course a corresponding $5 price tag. So in theory, it should tell us everything we need to know, right? Right? Well, let's find out. This is Empire X-Men number one. It had a September 2020 cover date. The story is called Alien Plants vs. Mutant Zombies. Written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard. Art by Matteo Bafagni. Colors Nolan Wooded. Uh, letters VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs Tom Muller. Edits Bisa White Sabolsky. Cover price, as mentioned, $5. Went on sale July 22nd of 2020. Now we open, and it's a year ago, and we're at the Sanctum Sanctorum. Now, Doctor Strange is chatting up somebody who wants to undo a sin they'd committed. Now, we quickly find out that this is the Scarlet Witch looking for penance for the whole, you know, no more mutants thing. I tell you, this might sound weird coming from me. If you've listened to this show, um, you know, for even a little while, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of lore and playing things where they lay and appreciating the history uh, of the of the industry and of the... Uh, you know, the, the Marvel Universe, uh, you know, in this instance. But can we just, I don't know, move on from this? The No More Mutants thing was like almost 20 years ago, and it sucked. So can we, like, stop referring to it all the damn time? Can we just move on, move on from that? Anyway, she's looking for a way to cram that genie back into the bottle. To which Doctor Strange basically tells her what's done is done. And since that bell can't be unrung, perhaps she ought to look for a bigger bell to ring. And so Wanda begins to concoct ways to make things right with the mutant people. Her mind goes to the Genosian genocide, which, you know, is that Cassandra Nova thing from way in the beginning of the Grant Morrison run, E is for Extinction. And she decides that maybe she could do something to bring back the 16 million mutants that were lost that day. And so, she spends the next 11 months in Genosha trying to figure out a way to do just this. Now, I'm not sure if Wanda's been appearing in Avengers books during the past year. I'm assuming she has. It's not like anybody's going to, you know, check and make sure that this actually fits. So, Wanda does the thing. She calls forth for there to be a resurrection. And doesn't Xavier already have the market cornered on this? Shouldn't Wanda already know that? I mean, the professor kind of broadcasted that to the world during Hoxbox, didn't he? Uh, maybe he just hadn't gotten around to the Genosian dead yet. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the case. Bada-bing, bada-boom, Wanda casts her spell or hex or whatever no longer mutant in origin ability she currently wields. And she is rather shocked by the result. But let's put a pin in that for just a moment. Scenes shift from Genosha to Wakanda. Because, of course, we need to have a Wakanda mention here. I think Marvel creators get, like, an extra stipend for making references to Wakanda. Now, you see, the Katati, an alien race, are uh, planning to invade. Because, of course, we need an alien invasion. This is a Marvel crossover, after all. Now, these are plant-like aliens. And, uh, well, that's pretty much the only thing that makes them different from the other Skate 800 alien races of the Marvel Universe. At least they don't have antlers, though. Well, not in the mammalian sense, anyway. Now, they're using Genosha as sort of a staging area to plan their attack. So they're not in Wakanda, but they're planning to attack Wakanda. Genosha is close enough to where they can, you know, get a little bit of a feel for the area. And we meet a soldier named Rutabaga. Really? Anyone listening ever eat a Rutabaga? I'm not sure I would even be able to point one out in a lineup. But, uh, anywho... 
The whole thing here is that they find Wakanda a suitable place for growth due to its rich soil, and the fact that it's the one place on Marvel Earth that even the mainstream can name without having to hit Wikipedia, so doubly a pleasure. Now he checks in with another veg type named Kukoi? Kukoi? Q-Q-O-I. Kukoi? Uh, now they talk about the fact that there be a lot of vibranium there, and the locals realize its value, and they wonder if these meat types might be a problem. They've actually got themselves a meaty hostage right now, as a matter of fact, and they decide, hey, let's interrogate him and find out. We find out that this hostage is actually a putrefied zombie who's missing his jaw. So everything he says just sounds like nonsense. You know, if you try talking without moving your jaw, I guess it would be kind of difficult. The plant types hand him his jaw, which thankfully had recently fallen off just now, so it was in within reach, I guess. And so our meat hostage begins to talk some sense. Now it turns out he's called Explody Boy. Really? I hate starting a sentence with, is it just me? But is it just me, or is this just a little too cute? Eh. Anywho, the sensational character find of 2020, Explody Boy, tells the veg types that, well, they're kind of boned, because they landed on an island that's full of mutants. And mutants are humans, just with powers. And they ask what his power is, and, I mean, his name is Explody Boy, so it doesn't take a rocket surgeon, or even a tree surgeon in this instance, he blows up. He blows stuff up. And, well, that's exactly what he does here. Now, Rutabaga reacts by slicing E.B.'s left arm off, which only winds up uh, tickling him. Confused, Ruta asks why E.B. ain't dead, to which he learns that, duh, he's already dead, or undead. Suddenly, there's a rumbling on the horizon, and before long, the entire place is crawling with stampeding zombified mutants. Title page, then a roll call with our, our credits? Wait, they can do that? So we, we didn't need to waste three pages every single issue of Dawn of X on this bit? All right, I'm, I'm not holding my breath that it'll last much longer than this issue, but hey, at least we know they can do it. So let's do our roll call. Magic, Penance, Angel, Black Tom Cassidy, Professor X, Magneto, and Multiple Man. Get back to comics, and we're in Paris, France. Now, Monet and Angel are on official X-Corp business, and are about to meet with a corporation called Noblesse Pharmaceuticals, or Noblesse. Uh, Ilyan is there, too, but we'll learn a bit more as to why that is in just a minute. Now, they're having a bite to eat at first, and they're being well, rather catty toward one another. They talk about having to do this because Sunspot had buggered off to outer space, which, hey, continuity, how about that? Inside, just before the meeting's about to begin, Ilyana lets it slip that she's only there to keep an eye on Monet and Warren for the professor in order to make sure they don't screw this up. Now, this rightly ticks them off, as you might imagine. Ilyana then doubles down and says she's uh, monitoring them for redundancy. Now, at this point, Warren and Monet are all screw this and decide to head back to Krakoa to confront the professor about this nonsense. They reschedule their meeting with the pharma for a later date. Back on Krakoa, and Black Tom is... Well, he's Black Tomming. That's what he does. He talks about a Krakoan gateway that's currently on the fritz. And he guesses as to where that gate might be? Hmm. Now, Xavier says he'll send a team out to take a look at it. Just then, though, Warren approaches to talk to the talk about the X-Corp potential redundancy problem. Professor X basically flips the script and sweet-talks Warren into understanding what he really meant by redundancy. Now, you see, it's not that Warren wasn't good at what he was supposed to be doing, but instead, 
ensuring that X-Corp is the best use of Warren in the first place, because Warren is so special. Whatever the case, Angel buys it, and so the situation doesn't escalate any further, thankfully. Seeing an opportunity to do some good, Angel decides that he'll check into the weirdness of the gateway to Genosha. Magneto says he could put together a team of four to do so, so we've got Angel, Magic, and Monet. Warren wonders what just might be waiting for them in Genosha and requests maybe maybe more than just four, right? Magneto repeats that Warren can only take one more citizen with him. Well, if you saw the roll call, then you already know where this is headed. Bada-bing, bada-boom, we're on Genosha, courtesy of a magic warp, and it's our trio plus Jamie Madrix. Madrox, however you say that. I don't know if I've ever said that out loud. Um, now, before they can get down to business at hand, they hear a rumbling. You know, the same rumbling we heard back like a hundred or so pages ago. They see the veg types running like hell. Moments later, they see what they're running from, and it's the zombified mutant meat types. Monet then penances up, then she and Magic get to work, slaughtering both groups. Okay. Uh, they don't get much time to rest, however, as Magic accurately points out that this felt more like a wave one than an entirety of a battle. Off to the side, Jamie can tittles fiddle with the busted gateway and suggests that it's not working simply because it's overgrown with weeds. So Jamie snaps up 30 or so dupes and gets to work pruning the portal. Just then, another rumbling, and it's time for wave two. Here's the thing, though. While they're zombies, yes, they're also mutants. So it stands to reason that they've got the appropriate genes in order to pass through to Krakoa through the gateway. And it looks like that's exactly what they intend to do. Only before they can, they wind up splattered with this green goop, which, I, I don't know, renders them inert. So you might be asking, what's this green goop and where did it originate? Well, all we got to do is flip the page to see... Ah, son of a... Bitch, it's horticulture. The old ladies. Really? Come on. Well, that's, uh... That's Empire colon X-Men number one. Next episode, we will do Empire colon X-Men number two. But, uh... Yeah, let's talk about this. Why not? First, I mean, the old ladies. Really? I mean, this series wasn't hard enough to get into as it was, right? Uh, now we got to deal with Sophia Petrillo cursing like a sailor for, I'm assuming, the next three issues. I really wish I could find this funny. I really do. It is something that I've actually gotten clapped back for, because a lot of the folks listening do find this funny. I just can't. I don't know why I can't. I wish I could. I just don't. <laughs> And when I see them here, I mean, we've been talking about them a lot lately. Uh, they seem to have come up in the mailbag, uh, like, the past three or four episodes, and then here they are. It's like it's like that Bloody Mary in the mirror thing. You say their name three times, and, and here they come. Now, let's, let's actually start by talking about this as a part of a whole, you know? This is entangled and intertwined with the Empire mass crossover event, right? Which, of course, I have absolutely no knowledge nor interest about. But I am an X-Men fan, and generally speaking, an X-Men completionist, so here we are. I want to refer to something that Alan Moore once wrote regarding mass crossovers. This is probably around 1987 or so, while he was putting together his pitch for Twilight of the Superheroes for DC Comics. Now, a full discussion of that is available in the archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. 
Now, in his mind, the perfect mass crossover would have sensible and logical reasons for crossing over with other titles so that fans would not feel cheated. Okay, let's stop there and ask. Does this X-Men or Empire colon X-Men fit the bill? Well, in the broadest sense, yes. Yes. If an X-Men fan has no interest in Empire, well, then it stands to reason that they would just skip this miniseries, right? Uh, I've actually reached out to um, some listeners of the show because I, as I was putting together these notes, I felt like I was being too negative on this book, and I wanted to touch base with some of the listeners of the show to see what they felt about this. And I heard from some that said they just skipped it because they didn't have interest in Empire. They just wanted to know about the X-Men. And so they skipped it. So that is definitely something that you can do. Some other listeners actually said they felt cheated, which is exactly what Moore was concerned with, with his uh, mass crossover idealization or whatever here. But uh, So yes, if you don't want to know about Empire, you don't buy this miniseries. Though that doesn't address the fact that we will be seeing actual Empire crossover issues of X-Men Volume 5, but... We'll talk about those when we get there, because I don't know what kind of animal, plant, vegetable, mineral, whatever those are going to be. Those could be the best things in the world, or they could be not. We'll find out when we get there. I'm not going to prejudge it. Now, similarly, across the table, right, if you're a Marvel Universe fan who has no interest in the X-Men, hey, then you can easily skip this as well. You won't feel cheated because you didn't bother buying it in the first place. Now, that said, and I am... I was going to say it can very well might be projecting, but I'm almost definitely projecting. When Marvel puts out a gaggle of crossover event tie-ins, they're banking on the rabid completionists and the lapsed casuals. Uh, Back when we talked about the four types of fans, these would be the group three, right? The ones who come for the big events, which is why we keep getting all these big events. Now, that's looking at it broadly. Now let's take a step back and look at this simply as a story. And it's hard to say whether or not a story deserves to exist when we're talking about a field as stunty and uneven as superhero comics. But for the sake of simplicity, let's try. I'm going to need some help here from people more embedded in Empire, so I can pose a question. Does this Empire colon X-Men add a single thing to your Empire reading experience? other than the extra 20 bucks you need to spend in order to catch them all, right? As an ignorant outsider looking in, which I am, though, I mean, I have more than enough Marvel crossover experience to recognize the patterns, I can't think of any real, which is to say not financially motivated, reason for this to exist. If what we're getting here is going to be on the fringes of Empire, We're going to be spending a bunch of time and money on a story that, at best, might get a passing mention in a panel or two of the main story. That's a best-case scenario. I could be mistaken, but that's the pattern. Now, a question that I can answer personally is, would reading this issue of Empire X-Men inspire an X-Men fan who isn't really following the main Marvel Universe to dig into the wider Empire event? Speaking personally, no. Absolutely not. I I might even have less interest after reading this, and I didn't think that was possible. I mean, do any of us really need another damn Marvel alien invasion story in our lives? Can we even tell them apart anymore? I mean, what's going to be announced for next year? 2021, is it going to be a Badoon invasion? 
And then in 2022, it'll be a, a brood invasion. Then in 2023, maybe maybe the Phoenix Force will come back and it'll split among the billion dead asparagus people that were killed during Dark Phoenix Saga and that they'll all come and attack the Earth. While at the same time, all the heroes battle other heroes on the streets of New York. We don't need this crap, do we? I mean, I don't. And, and I mean, I, I can't hold this against our creative team here. They're playing the ball where it lie. And, uh... You know, I, I'm sure that they didn't say, "Oh, we want to be a part of this. I'm sure it was just like, hey, you're going to be a part of this. And again, this is me projecting. But it's like, I have less interest in this than I did before I opened the book. And that's not good. Granted, I'm just one idiot with a microphone. You know, I'm just one idiot who's in one corner of the Marvel Universe. So take anything I say with uh, whatever, you need, whatever you need to take it with, I guess. Uh, now let's... Let's jump to the other side of the fence here. Let's say you're a Marvel fan. Pure Marvel. Which is to say, you buy the things that Marvel tells you to buy. Which, I mean, let's be real here, for the better part of the past decade, really didn't include a push toward the X-Men books. Because Marvel really didn't seem to want those to succeed all that much. But you, as the dutiful Marvel consumer, decide that you're all in on Empire. Okay, so... You're a Marvel fan, you read Avengers books, Fantastic Four, you're reading Empire because, you know, it's the big story of the year. Now, would anything you read here in Empire X-Men inspire you to come back and pick up more X-Men books? If I were a betting man, which thankfully I'm not, I'd venture to say more than likely no. No. Uh, This takes for granted that everybody reading this is familiar with everything that's gone on in the X-Books over the past year. And I'd guess that a great portion of the folks who were duped into buying this had no clue, or not as much of a clue, of what's gone on over the past year that they'd need in order to get as much out of it as they might have otherwise. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a big fan of, re- of rewarding seasoned readers, right? I don't believe we should have our hands held. I don't think things should be dumbed down. But this is the first issue of a crossover with the wider Marvel Universe. And it gives nothing to entice a new or X-lapsed reader into coming back into the fold. Though, I mean, I doubt that was the goal in the first place. That isn't to say that the folks involved in it didn't want it to be successful, because I'm sure they did, right? But the goal here was inflating the page count and the bottom line of Empire, and and not a whole lot more. With that out of the way, let's get into the issue here, which, again, I want to remind everyone, costs $5. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, it had an interesting concept, but not such a great execution. I mean, we're still drawing from the House of M situation, which, you know, really should be left lying at this point. I mean, they've been milking that for a long time now, to the point where that teat's only got powder left in it. It's just, it's done. Now, the idea that Wanda would want to raise a whole bunch of zombie mutants as a form of penance, yeah, that's, that's an interesting concept. But, I mean, the entire premise of post-Hoxpox X-Men is raising the friggin' dead. So this feels incredibly redundant. I mean, perhaps during a different time, this would have made more impact. Or it would have just been something. Here, it's just like, okay, she's doing exactly what the X-Men are doing anyway. So, where's the oomph? What's the point? 
Now, something else we've talked about a lot during our discussions here is uh, talking about the attempts at humor and comedy in the Dawn of X books. And I think, yeah, I think even saying they've been uneven might be a little bit too kind. Uh, you know, especially, you know, the feedback I'm getting on a lot of the attempts at humor. Let's start with Explody Boy. Get the hell out of here with that. This isn't funny. This isn't cute. Explody Boy? Uh, is, um, okay And of course, the long-awaited return of the Golden Girls um, I gotta ask, did Hickman actually plant them in X-Men number 3 Simply to revisit them in, in a meaningless crossover miniseries? I mean, I mean, I guess it fits And I can 100% respect the forethought But still, I very nearly tossed this book across the room when I got to that page i not a fan of those characters I wish I could be I wish I could be, but I'm not. Um, I like the idea of the urgency of uh, fearing that these mutant zombies might make their way to Krakoa. And part of me, actually all of me, was hoping that that's where the story was going. I was hoping that these Genosian uh, zombie mutants would broach the or breach the uh, the portal. And just overrun Krakoa, so we would have like this alien invasion, this zombie invasion on Krakoa's story, instead of, well, what it looks like we're gonna get instead. So I was, I was, uh, I saw the zig. I wanted the zig. I expected the zig, and then we got the zag, and it was, it was, uh, you know, about as funny as brew eating the king egg. So, which is to say, not at all. So. I, I can't really think of much more to say about this one That wouldn't be just me repeating myself And and really just beating up on a book That doesn't deserve being beaten up on um, This is just a These are mostly Almost 100% Chris problems You know um, I haven't talked to anyone Who actually enjoyed this yet uh, But they haven't been quite as Vitriolic as I have I don't know, it's this feels like the perfect recipe for a book that I just don't need in my life, unfortunately. And I, I suppose it might go without saying that uh, I didn't care for this. Uh, I am also not looking forward to the next three issues. And I, you know, if this is somehow your first episode of this program, rest assured I'm not usually this negative, and I hate being this negative about anything we cover here. But this one looks like it's going to be something of a chore. Um, I, I'm being completely honest here I've been taken to task before for being too kind to books So I'm not an overly negative guy This is just a perfect recipe for something that I don't want to read Now at least when we come out the other end of Empire We'll be able to talk about the first issue of The New X Factor Which I've heard a lot of good things about So yeah, we'll keep the eyes on the prize, right? And hey, you know, honestly if I turn out to actually come around to enjoying Empire X-Men over the course of the next three issues and episodes, I will fully 100% admit that I was wrong here. Um, I hope that's what happens. I hope that's the case. I hope I come around, and uh, I hope something good comes out of this. Uh, though, yeah, I keep thinking back to the last time we did something like this. The last time we stepped away from the main books and looked at a miniseries, it was the X-Men Fantastic Four. Which I had high expectations for And while it was a fun story It really didn't live up to what I had expected from it And of course we know In the recent Fantastic Four number 26 It was all undone anyway 
and Franklin's, you know, whole DNA makeup has been, you know, refabricated or whatever. And so, I mean, hopes are not high for any sort of uh, miniseries, any sort of crossover event tie-in. So many of us, you know, me talking and so many of you listening, we've been burned by these uh, these tie-in miniseries before. We know the the lay of the land, and we know how unimportant they're going to wind up being. But, uh, you know, before we get into the mailbag, uh, you know, sorry if I'm being too negative on this. I really don't like being negative on these books. I, I spend so many hours of the day talking and writing about these books that to do it with the purpose of, you know, spewing vitriol on it, that's just not worth anybody's time. So this one was a pass for me. Not my cup of tea, but fingers crossed it'll get better as we work our way through. And of course, you know, onward and upward after that as it is. Now let's get into the mailbag. Uh, we're going to start with Damien, and he's talking about X-Force number 10. And he's answering one of my questions here, because I asked if veg was like some sort of a Britishism. <laughs> because, boy, we saw the word veg a lot in X-Force number 10. Damien says, veg is a very British term. I genuinely don't believe I've said the word vegetables aloud for a couple of decades. It might help to stop if it's seeming too repetitive if Percy alternated it with veggies, which can be used interchangeably with veg, but can also refer to vegetarians. And, I mean, we say veggies all the time here, too, but it's just like, we were just hammered with the veg, weren't we? And I might be projecting. I'm definitely projecting, but I feel like Percy was like a little too proud of his use of veg here. I mean, without hyperbole, Black Tom must have said it a couple dozen times. Though in fairness, for all I know, Percy himself is British. I I don't know. (laughs) Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Whatever the case, too damn many uh, mentions of the word veg here. Damien continues. On to the bulk of the story, it seems like they're setting up Beast's descent into being a bad guy. The closing scene set, kind of sets up Gene, Wolverine, and Cyclops against Beast. I can see that being fertile ground for stories. And yes, that's definitely a potential interesting angle that they could uh, they could do should they decide to go that route. I just hope it stays in the one book. You know what I mean? I hope it doesn't result in there being two ongoing X-Force books. Which, sadly, I can totally see. Um, I, I don't want to see an X-Force schism. And then we split into another. Do we, I mean, the this line is getting bloated enough as it is. We don't need a second X-Force book. I might be mistaken and conflating, but I'm pretty sure it was actually a time where Marvel was putting out three ongoing X-Force books. I believe there's an X-Force, an Uncanny X-Force, and a Cable and X-Force. So, I mean, I could already see the announcement that we're getting another volume of, like, Uncanny X-Force, or maybe, you know, the launch of Wolverine and X-Force. Fingers crossed that that does not happen. Damien wraps up with, By the way, I'm with you and wishing that they hadn't shown the Gene-Wolverine relationship on panel. I preferred the X-Men number one device where it was there for the shippers, but could be ignored. And yeah, you know, subtlety hasn't always been the strength of X-Force. It's been better of late, but it usually wears its intentions, like, right in plain view. Um, Now, the ignorability of the Gene-Logan relationship, to me, was its biggest strength. Because it didn't, it wasn't like overt, but it also made us think twice about every scene that featured any two members of our love triangle, right? We would read into things. Even, I mean, even a scene with Scott and Logan, 
without Jean there. People read into that scene. And now it's like more or less confirmed that, yeah, Jean's just banging them both. <laughs> you know, I feel like the, the the nuances of not knowing were so much more important than the revelation that, you know, what it is, is. And I think, you know, going back to, you know, the, my entire X-Men comics, you know, fandom career, I've always been more a fan of Logan wanting what he can't have, uh, while harboring, like, an almost, almost like a reverence for Jean, you know what I mean? Like, he has this crazy deep love for her, but also this admiration and respect. So I don't see him actually giving in to his urges, right? I see him as having Jean on such a pedestal that he'd think her being with him would somehow cheapen her, if that makes any sense. I mean, I mean, talk about letting one's own headcanon run away with them here, but that's the way I always viewed their relationship. Like, ideally, Wolverine would be with Jean, but he holds her in such high regard that she's too good for him. And he knows she's too good for him, and she wouldn't—he wouldn't let her like sully herself as to being with him. Uh, I'm not sure where they go from here, and unfortunately, I'm less interested in finding out than I was before reading it. So, we'll see where that goes. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and for clarifying Veg, Damien. I very much appreciate it. Next, Joe Crawford is sharing with us his rankings for the Dawn of X number fives. He says, I just finished Dawn of X Book 5. Ranked 1 to 6 are New Mutants, X-Force, Marauders, X-Men, Excalibur, and Fallen Angels. To which uh, we're pretty close on our rankings here. Um, I'm Looking back, I'm not sure why I would rank X-Men as being better than X-Force, though. Because if I'm remembering right, the X-Men issue was that weird one-off having to do with the Children of the Vault, which basically ignored the fact that X-23 was part of Fallen Angels, and it kind of relinquished her role as Wolverine Jr. But for some reason, I did rank X-Men higher than X-Force. I don't recall why. And, you know, back to Joe's list here, it's uh, it's another uh, another Excalibur and Fallen Angels anchor. Uh, well, I guess luckily you've only got one more issue of Fallen Angels left. And also... Luckily, you only have one more issue of the Morgan Le Fay story in Excalibur. After that, you get you get some fun stuff. So just get through number six, and everything will be smooth sailing. Joe wraps up with, The Art in New Mutants is amazing. I like the book a lot. And, of course, he's talking about Rod the Ridiculous Reese. I mean, this guy is amazing. Uh, just inhuman in talent here. I, I love his work. It's just it's phenomenal stuff. But thank you so much for sharing your list there, Joe, and your thoughts on the issue fives. And we're going to wrap up with a missive from our friend Al Sedano, who's talking about X-Men number two. He says, it's funny, but it seems like it's easier for you to post a new episode each day than it is for me to listen and comment. Let's Let's not also forget how often I'm able to get my own episodes out, so thanks for giving me a complex. And uh, obsessiveness is nothing to covet, so don't worry about that. I'm a very strange man. Uh, Anyway, I at least have some thoughts on X-Men number two. He says, First of all, I can see what you're saying about how Cyclops is acting with his kids, but I did enjoy it. It felt very dad. Also, I seem to remember Scott getting very much into his new life roles before things inevitably go to crap. Look at how he was in the beginning of his marriage with Madeline. He was very into being a husband, at least from what I remember. 
Maybe he's trying to enjoy this before all hell eventually breaks loose. Though yes, perhaps Xavier getting killed should qualify. Maybe he was just repressing. I know weird, I know weird for Cyclops to do, but it's possible. And, you know, you might be right. Maybe he is just trying to, you know, make his best go at it. And he's only acting the way he thinks he ought to. I've, uh, you know, commented that he's like the wacky suburban dad. He's the sitcom dad. And uh, to me, that doesn't feel like Cyclops, but he could just be overcorrecting. He might know that the happiness and the peace that he now has in his life is very likely short-lived, so he's just going to make the best of it. And I totally forgot. I mean... Yeah, Xavier had his brains blown out in uh, in X Force, <laughs> and I think it got a very passing mention in here, which was kind of strange. Uh, Xavier's death really didn't get the uh, didn't really get the reaction I feel like it should have. Uh, Al continues. Also, I don't think we're going to get a roster for this title. I think technically everyone on Krakoa is now an X Man, so this title will be about the main events happening to this new nation. To which, bingo, you got it in one. To me, this is the, this is as though X-Men Unlimited was pushed to the forefront of the line. So it's not so much the straw that stirs the drink, but instead it kind of guides the way and plants seeds that'll be explored at a later date. In a lot of ways, I can appreciate that. You know? In another way, though, I see it as kind of gimmicky and... I don't want to say lazy, but just just gimmicky. Because uh, Claremont was able to plant seeds just about anywhere, right? We knew he could have a half dozen subplots bubbling along, and it wouldn't derail the book, and everything would unfold as it should. Here, it's like we're, we're devoting an entire volume of the flagship book to plant seeds. To me, that just feels... I don't know, like it feels uh, it feels too extra, right? And it's giving us information because I mean, you gotta bloat it. It can't just be a, a like a bubble and subplot. It has to have backstory. It has to have all this stuff to fill an entire comic book. To me, I mean, you know how I am with my opinions here. If it's my opinion versus someone else's, I always say the other person's right and I'm wrong. So maybe I'm wrong. It just feels like. Uh, I don't know. I, I just expected more out of the X Men title, and uh, this, you know, these one and dones or two and dones, really just don't do it for me. Uh, back to Al. He says, "Speaking of all these new X Men, is it weird that I trust Apocalypse a lot more than Sinister? Maybe it has to do with the future issues of Hoxpox, as we know Sinister will be a traitor, but not Apocalypse." And you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm a bit iffy on them both. Um, there are times where both seem. Somewhat trustworthy And there are other times where I wouldn't trust them with my lasagna recipe <laughs> You know, they uh, they seem sketchy, really sketchy at times But other times they just seem like good soldiers, right? They do make for very interesting flavor for this era And I will say that I'm enjoying them both far more than I thought I would when we started this I thought it was just going to be like, you know, the square peg into the round hole with Apocalypse and Sinister And uh, so far so good so far, so good. I'm enjoying Apocalypse's, most of Apocalypse's bits in Excalibur. And Sinister's been pretty good in Hellions. So, not bad. Not bad at all. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us, Al. I really appreciate you keeping up and, uh, and keeping on with the, uh, the Dawn of X uh, anthologies here. It's really, really cool to hear your thoughts. 
and I love the fact that we've got folks at different stages in the uh, in the read through here. So we get to address everything. It keeps me on my heels, on my toes, I guess, not my heels, my toes, and uh, helps to refresh me when I have forgotten some things. Because uh, I mean, over the course of the past few months, we've read well 82 issues of this stuff. So it's uh, sometimes they blend. So. It's nice to get a reminder every now and again, so thank you so much for that. Now, if anyone else out there would like to share their thoughts with me, I'm a fairly easy guy to find. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or at uh, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. There's also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com that's dedicated to these xlapsed family of shows. Uh, you could talk to us about all sorts of stuff over at 90s X-Men on Facebook, or you could listen to everything in the Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's where we'll put a pin in it today. One down, three to go for Empire colon X-Men. Uh, I hope I wasn't too negative. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say we're going to be cautiously optimistic moving forward. We're going to be open to having our minds blown, or at least changed, uh, I can say that with 100% sincerity that I will try to uh, remove my bias and see if we can uh, accept these a little bit better moving forward. But I want to thank everyone for sharing your time with me today and sharing your ears and sharing your thoughts. Uh, and until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Searching